0: Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your life story editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. We have a great show today for you and a story filled with what I would call must-hear wisdom. My guest today is the co-owner, along with her sister Trang, of Paris Jewelers, a proudly Canadian-Vietnamese women-owned and operated, let's just pause there and let that sink in, women-owned and operated jewelry company focused on community partnerships customer experience, and of course, supporting women. In fact, the company has a 90% women workforce. Like my heart just skipped a beat when I got to see that fact and read that. And besides being passionate about the latest jewelry trends, being a fierce leader and a mother, Chow is also on the board of directors for the Canadian Jewelers Association, and among other things, takes a very firm stance on her philanthropic endeavors, ensuring that Paris Jewelers is spreading their good work out into the community through some very critical charity endeavors that we will definitely be talking about today, as well as many other things. Ciao! welcome to Unapologetic Stories. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you and I would like to start because I love a good service oriented mission. I would love to start with your philanthropic work if that's okay with you here today, not only because it is. very incredibly inspiring. I've been like folding through pages and pages of your work and it's so inspiring. But because there is a really a deeper message in it that I would love to share with our audience and have them hear about today as well. So let's start there. So in May, uh, you launched through Paris Jewelers, of course, the Asian Heritage Hope set, where 100% 100% of the net proceeds will be donated to help fight anti-Asian racism across North America. And I know that a large part of this is not only your own heritage as Vietnamese Canadians, but your personal lived experience and knowledge of anti-Asian racism. So I would really love if you could tell us a bit about your experience growing up and how that shaped your
1: advocacy work. Absolutely. Thank you for holding space for this conversation. So our family immigrated here when I was about two years old, um, you know, and we didn't come to Canada with much and we didn't speak English and it was, it was me and my sister and we just, um, you know, growing up, I, I always felt, um, you know, I, I, you know I knew that maybe things would be a little bit different my name is different and just growing up I just remember the, I started to see little things um, people couldn't pronounce my name they would make fun of me quite often um, and I, I, I remember the biggest fear I always had was um, having a substitute teacher when I was in elementary school because um, not to the teacher's fault but she didn't you know maybe they didn't know how to pronounce my name and when that would happen Um, I would get made fun of, and the bullying would start, so these were the little things I noticed growing up, and, you know, and just really um, throughout that, I really felt that, you know, somewhere in my heart that, you know, it was going to be a little bit different, but it was when we got into, our family got into a car accident that it really hit me, and I was, um, I want to say I was probably eight years old, and my sister was six years old, and You know, at that time, my family had just took the bus everywhere. My parents were working, you know, two or three jobs and then going to English as a second language class, trying to learn, um, learn English. And I remember that day so well, and we were in our tiny little apartment and we saw some honking and lights and we ran to the window and there was my, my parents and my grandma was with us in the house because she immigrated with us and they had a car and I remember this car and it was a a blue sable and it was powder blue and it was it was an old car but we had a car and that meant we didn't have to take you know take the bus everywhere as a family and that weekend a few days later we all got in the car and we were driving somewhere and we were hit by a semi truck for a huge company and the driver was drunk really drunk so when we they got to the scene um, the police were like, I cannot believe your family is alive. My grandma had almost broke both her legs. My mom had lost all her front teeth, broken nose, blood everywhere. My sister and I, very young, had bruises and there was glass everywhere. And I just remember a few weeks later, my mom was all bandaged up. My grandma was all bandaged up. And we were in the room and I, I think it was a mediation room. And of course we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't know better. We didn't really, I don't even think we had, um, you know, a very good lawyer. And I remember them asking my mom, the person who was typing up the notes, where does it hurt? And my mom didn't speak English really. So she didn't know how to say my inner thigh or my nose is broken. So she kept saying it hurts here and pointing to where it hurt. And in that room, I remember her getting yelled at because she couldn't speak English and she couldn't describe her pain. And that was the moment I knew at eight years old that yeah, my life was going to be a little bit different just because of the color of my skin. Wow. And 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 I'm sorry this is a very long story, but that was oh, just my so, realization so at, at 8 years old that holy smokes, and I just remember feeling helpless, my mom feeling helpless, and I just I just remember that that feeling of despair saying I wish I could speak, I wish I could help my mom, but The reality is she didn't know how to speak English, but that didn't mean that the drunk driver wasn't wrong for almost killing a family. So yeah, that was just a huge moment for me at eight years old. Oh, that I mean, and that
0: shapes not only at eight years old, but even earlier than that, as your name is being mispronounced, as you're starting to actually take in some of this information, and as such a young child, you have generally no language to actually explain any of this. It's just starting to live inside yourself in a way where you start to adopt this idea that you are different and not accepted.
1: Right. Right. And I, I think I could have spoke. I mean, I could speak English at the time, but I was scared. I was scared to say anything. Somebody was yelling at my mom. And I, I, I just wanted to say, don't yell at her she like, she has a broken nose. She's lost all her front teeth. My grandma can't walk properly. Like, don't do that. Be kind. But I, I mean, I didn't say anything Was eight years old. I was just scared. So that really, you're right. It really did shape the way I thought. And I kind of, um, I was super mindful after that moment. I remember. I bet. I bet. Thank
0: you so much for sharing that. I mean, that is deeply personal. And I think, Um, Part of what we're talking about here, obviously, is advocacy for things that are so important, but not just important, but things that we're not talking enough about. And often when we hear the word racism, we imagine that it is very overt and that it is blunt and that it is based in statements like, I don't like you know, fill in the blank. But it's not. It's those microaggressions. It's the way that you're told that your language is not acceptable in this space or that it won't amount to any healing or pain relief for you in the event of, as you said, a a really tragic accident that could have been worse. I mean, that that's what's really hitting me in your story here is that we don't even notice these things as white people, unfortunately, sometimes, but here you are living with this every single day. That's powerful.
1: And I, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's only recently in our company that we have started, my sister and I started sharing that we're the face of the company. You'd only see that in the last probably three to four years. Um, you know, our teams were always like, you know, share who you are, um, you know, share your story. But I was so scared because there were some times where, you know, customers or or just, you know, not, not customers, I'm sorry, um, you know, people would pass by and say, like, don't say you're Canadian owned and operated, your owners are not even from this country, or, or things like that. So we were very afraid, because at the same time, I know it's right. But I'm also there's a balance as we're growing and running our business. We also had people look at us to um, for their paychecks, right, and their family's livelihood. So there was always a balance for me. And it was always fear. But it was in the couple, the last couple of years that I was like, you know what, I'm going to share where I'm from. I'm going to share my story. Because it may make a difference to somebody else. Mm. And it's not about me or my fear or my sister or her fear. It is about what we're doing to leave a legacy in the communities that we live and we work.
0: Goodness. I could not honestly love that more. And the symbolism actually that comes through, because this is, I mean, certainly it's rooted in a jewelry set, which is how you sort of like bring this beautiful mission and this symbol out into the world. But this jewelry set is very symbolic as well. This isn't just any jewelry set. It was made with such mindfulness and thoughtfulness about the symbolism of what this really represents can you tell us a little bit about
1: the set itself It's gorgeous it's gorgeous thank you so much the set is so um so special so special to me and um it is you know it has the color pink it has a rose quartz which is known as a universal stone of love i believe that you know we should all give love to each other. It's also my daughter's favorite color. I wanted to honor her, but it is in the shape of a hexagon and all of the angles and, and the interior angles and the sides of the hexagon are equal. So that really is the way that I want to see the world. And I want to see all of us being treated equally and also our differences to be celebrated because that's what makes the world such a cool place.
0: Yeah. And it's a difficult balance to strike, I think, in conversation. You're doing such a beautiful job of it, actually, of explaining this, which is we want to celebrate our differences. We have to celebrate our differences, but also this simultaneous acknowledgement without bypassing those differences, but the simultaneous acknowledgement that we are all living this kind of human life together, and we need to be much more conscious about the way that we are uh, talking to people, accepting people, and we need to do our own work.
1: Absolutely. And here's the thing. I have learned so much in the last few years. I need to learn and I need to unlearn. And I'm always trying to better so that I can raise my girls in the best way. So they're open and they're celebrating differences and they're looking at things through a different lens. So I think it's for everybody. Um, I am included in that where I need to do better as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'm looking at these beautiful pictures behind you right now as we're talking of your gorgeous daughters. Oh my goodness, they're so sweet. So tell us about your girls, because this is something that is near and dear to my heart. I have two daughters myself, and I know you have two daughters. And I often refer to them, and I try to unburden them energetically from this, but they really are my higher calling. And it sounds to me a little bit through reading your personal story here as well, that they are a calling for you, you and your sister, to sort of step into action and say, we have to speak up. This is not about necessarily just our personal experience, even though that is powerful in and of itself. This is about making change for future generations, but particularly these two gorgeous humans on these uh,
1: pictures behind you. Absolutely. I have two daughters, ages um, nine and six, and I just, I want to make decisions that they're going to be proud of. I want to make decisions that, and, you know, behave in a way that I want them to see and be proud of me um, they sometimes they ask me mom what do you do at work do you just sell jewelry I'm like no darling I do so much more than that because I want them to know what it's about and I think that's one of the reasons Trang and I are speaking up so much more and we're being more vocal is because I don't believe that like any one person is going to change the world right I believe that it's all of us and it's collective effort but what we said to each other, you know, you know, we have a lot of, I'm so close to my sister, she's like my best friend, but what we said is, if through our conversation and through us speaking authentically and sharing our story, no matter how hard or scary, if we could change one person's perspective, maybe that's one child in school that doesn't get bullied that day, and that would have been the change that I needed growing up. Oh, I feel
0: like I need to just take a deep breath there. That is the change that you needed growing up. That's right. That is really, really beautiful. Thank you for that. That just really was a pivotal shift for me. And and it's firmly what I believe as well. But the way you just articulated that, I I just felt like a, a, oh, just resonated really deeply. It's just that one child that just needs something to change so that their experience is just more positive. I, I don't even know how to plug in the words there. It was so deep
1: it is and it starts at home and it starts with that conversation it starts with understanding and when we can humanize somebody and understand then we provide empathy and kindness and that's what changes the world but it takes a collective so mm-hmm. i think it's super important and the overwhelming response we've received has been an honor for me it has kept me going it is through our parishlers community and our store that has really made me say you know what? To be honest, it was a hard conversation, but it was worth every single bit of discomfort because we are making a difference. And that is through sharing personal stories. That is through
0: sharing personal stories. I was just going to say that too. And the way that you're even humanizing this conversation right now, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. This is a collective effort and we are all responsible for our own storytelling in that and our own role of kind of peeling all these layers back and really seeing people, really understanding the experience and and the things that we do that create either a, a, a positive or a negative experience for somebody. We have to be more consciously aware of that. But I will say too, certainly not to diminish your sharing of this personal story, the way that you're humanizing this right now, even for me, I've had a pivotal shift in the last five minutes. So I thank you for that. I think our listeners are really, really going to resonate with this a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And we have your, of course, we have your sister who is your co owner. We've talked about your two daughters. We're going to talk a little bit about all the other women in your organization as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to start here because I think um, something else that I find absolutely fascinating about your story and so inspiring, especially now that I know how much adversity you were facing and how much fear and doubt there was in really bringing your story to light, this company. I mean, it's now I look at your social media and I'm like, wow, look at all these beautiful partnerships and look at all this wonderful, beautiful th- things that you're doing out in the world. Um, but people generally on social media, I think we perceive success to be somewhat quick and easy to come by mm-hmm. often. Um, and one scan <laughs> of your account, I think it's at Paris Jewelers Canada, by the way, and I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. Um, but it shows us these beautiful incredible things that you're doing but the truth is this company has been many many years of hard work i think we're getting a little peek at that uh, at some background here as well. um and in fact like paris Jewelers started in a 400 square foot space i think a really little space in st albert alberta I would love to know, just kind of take us back a little bit through your story of entrepreneurship in the family and how you have managed to grow this company to 23 stores across four Canadian provinces with over 200 employees. What was that
1: like for you? Gosh, I, I always, um, always want to remember our, our humble beginnings because that's what really drives me. So we did open in a, four, a small 400-square-foot store, and I saw my mom in so hard. And when we opened that store in St. Albert, um, she still didn't know how to speak English. So she bought a Vietnamese English dictionary, and when a customer would come in, she would pull out the dictionary, and she would use that to communicate and translate with customers. So when I saw that growing up, I thought, gosh, that is a challenge. I can overcome anything. And, you know, I kind of grew up, you know, in the mall and I I grew up in the business, but I, when I started with the organization, I was super intentional about working through every single department. I did not take on a role or a title. I actually didn't have a title for 10, my first 10 years at the company. I just didn't want one. And I worked in every single department from shipping to reception, like to services. And I learned it and I, I just wanted to earn my way. Through the company, I wanted to earn respect really it was so important to me. So I probably did training for about two years, worked in every department. And I also worked at the store part-time as well. Um, when I joined, we had 10 stores and then I um, helped grow it. I, I saw opportunity for us to grow. So I, I wanted to do it. But it was a lot of hard work. I failed a lot, a lot.
0: <laughs> okay. This is, this, is, oh, this is so good. Um, first of all, 10 years without a title working every level of the company this is quite frankly not something that we hear about or that we see much anymore there is really this perception of really quick instant overnight success and that just is obviously is not the situation with your particular company but i'm curious too what was your biggest lesson that you may have learned in those i mean this is many many years for you now but what was the biggest lesson you've learned in your career
1: I've learned so many lessons because I failed so much. And I think failure helps us see our blind spots. Yeah. It really, really does. It's necessary. Um, I think the biggest lesson for me is not everybody's going to like you. I used to measure my worth by how many people liked me. Mm. It's kind of embarrassing to say, but I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I'm and, right there. And, I am
0: right there with you. I'm like, so glad you totally, put it on the table.
1: right. you have to so, but when but when we measure our success by that metric of how many people like us, I think that we are not being authentic to ourselves. I think that I used to strive for like, right? When I was first leading and first managing people, that's what I wanted. I wanted everybody to like me, but I wasn't making the best decisions in the best in in the best interest of our teams and our company. So now I I don't go for like. I actually go for respect because you can like somebody and unlike them really fast but respect runs deep so I try to explain my decisions. I try to explain why where I'm going like decisions are really like it's like culture right it's who we are what we do and why we do it I explain all those things and I want them to know that it's for the best interest of everybody but if they don't agree and they don't like it that's okay because I have to live authentically to myself and make decisions that protect everybody and not be liked by you know, one or two people. Um, So I think that that's the biggest lesson I've learned. And I think that a lot of people do do struggle with it. I know I have for so long, and probably to this day, I do, but I really have tried to work on that, because we don't make the best decisions when being liked is the metric that we're measuring ourselves by.
0: The, this is so powerful and it's so incredibly true. And I think our listeners are probably, I mean, I said, this was a must hear episode. I knew we were going to get some big drops here, um, but this is super powerful to me as well, because even if we just package this up as we have this kind of external reference point where we're looking for likes and, or being liked. So those two things, I think sometimes are synonymous. We get a little bit confused because online world and in internal world. Um, But I love this, which is that respect runs deep. What I'm hearing here is that respect is based in you sharing your truth and your perspective and being able to really articulate that this decision may not be something I'm looking for approval on, but there is a sense of responsibility even as a leader to really allow your team in on some of those decisions as well and to see where you're coming from and to see what values you're rooted in. Like, I think that's a really
1: powerful leadership message here as well. Yeah, absolutely. We actually made a change probably five or six years ago. Like, you know, as a company, we have so many employees now um, and memos go back and forth all the time. Gosh, memos. I have a love-hate relationship with them. They're necessary. But we actually put um, at the beginning of our memo, why? That's our first line. Why? Why we are doing this. And then we go into the what and the how. Why is the first line? Because if people don't know why you're doing something, that's not fair. So that's our first line on our memo document, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah, my work is really rooted
0: in finding out the deeper why as well, because it really does connect us when, even when I'm listening to your story here and I see, if I go on your website and I see Asian heritage hope set and hundred percent of net proceeds donated here, I think what a great endeavor, but now I ask why, or we ask why we get curious about other human beings. And again, being able to kind of humanize these personal stories. And the more that I've sort of learned about you in just this short time together, It just feels significantly more powerful. And here's this intersection, this crossover, where we put this in the space of a business or in the framework of a company where we're communicating memos to individual staff members, plugging in why at the top, I think this is an enormous takeaway, from all of this is if we just explain why we allow people into the story, we allow people into the decision and that I would imagine has cultivated the relationships and the communication you've needed to grow this company so tremendously.
1: Absolutely. And I have to tell you though, like, honestly, communication is something we're working at. And I, I I believe that myself and as a company, we can get better. It was so different when we had 10 stores. Now that we have 23, there's different districts and provinces and cities, but um, it's something that is on our list of making things better and really trying to communicate better and, and really sharing our why. Um, you know, this year w- we started something that has really made a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I got feedback and it was hard feedback, but it was so valid and I'm so glad it came across. Is that I only now, because we're so big, I only speak to, you know, upper level manager, then to our head office team. Totally valid. Totally true. I can't call every single employee anymore like I used to, right? right. Used to call everybody on their, on their birthday, right? I, I used to be able to, but now with 200 plus, it's hard. So we started something called the Paris Take Five. And every single week, I send out a five to seven minute video, myself talking. It's done quickly on my iPhone. It's not really edited. And I, I share what's on my mind, what our goals are for the company, we celebrate if we need to. And that goes out to every employee, regardless of your tenure, or your role, so that everybody feels like they're connected to our organization. So we did that at the beginning of COVID. And it's really made a difference as well in terms of communication. But just things like that are things that we're trying to do better. We're just kind of getting started on this point. And I I feel like there's lots of room for me and the company to improve.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. That's an incredibly yeah. vulnerable share. And I love that you've stepped yeah. up kind of as a leader and said exactly what you've talked about before, which is we all have failings along the way. Yeah. There are failings, but really the failing is an opportunity to see a blind spot. And for you, this might've been that opportunity. It's like, there was a blind spot here that of course, in my busy world, it never occurred to me that there might've been a lapse in communication and not that it wasn't important to you. It just wasn't part of your like awareness. And now you're aware of it. There's the blind spot being filled. I think it's beautiful.
1: Thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And just for maybe a little humor here for the listeners, bring <laughs> us back through one of your monumental failures. What would you say was like a catalyst moment for blind spot change for you?
1: Oh gosh, um, I don't even know where to start. We <laughs> have three hours for three hours to talk about you know my failures from just this week. Okay, um, you know, you know, one of the things that. Um, and I don't I don't I don't know if it's either good or bad but sometimes I feel like as a company um, you know when we launch product lines we could probably test a little bit more we get super super passionate and then we just go all in without the proper testing and then we kind of skip steps because we get so excited and we're passionate those have been you know really really big failures for us when it's like we, ha- we don't have the, the foundation we don't have a, the proper plan we don't you know, have projections. So those things have been really, really big failures for us. Um, But I I would say one of the biggest things is when we were expanding, everybody who says, what's your, the toughest time you've had in the business, it is, um, I'll always tell you the year of 2010. So that was the year that we opened five stores in one year. Gosh! And imagine we're like we're a smaller company. I don't have huge teams. It's really me and my family and a couple of key people. So every, imagine every single two months, pretty much, you're um, learning a community, negotiating a lease, procuring enough product, hiring staff, training staff, building a store, designing a store, staying to make sure you know you're learning about the community, make sure the the, the teams are good, leaving and doing it all over again. So at in that year, I think Trang and I we we would work like and i do not recommend this it was so bad we worked like 16 17 hour days nonstop and we just we just opened stores because we were so focused on that one thing on expanding it was it was not right but then i didn't see it And then every single year we have a huge holiday party for our teams. We fly in managers from across the country and we invite all the spouses from Edmonton. It's our home city. And um, you know, we have a nice dinner and a dance and every single person at our holiday party leaves with a jewelry gift. I I make sure that happens because I want to honor our people for their work and celebrate the season with them. And then we do like prizes for like draws for bigger prizes. And I remember that night it was 2010 and I was, I was tired but I was having fun and somebody came up to me and they were upset and they were like, Chow, I just want a diamond watch. And it was like valued at $500. And they said, I, I don't like it. Can you exchange it? I was so taken aback. <laughs> I was like, what? I thought I was being punk. <laughs> but then I, I said, well, no, I'm not gonna exchange it. But I said, I recommend you donate it. There's so many people that don't get holiday gifts during, during the Christmas season. Christmas isn't wonderful for everybody, right? And they're like, okay, they're upset. And then I had another person come up to me and want to exchange their gift again. So of course, um, I was mad, but I didn't say anything with the holiday party, but I was like fuming upset. I didn't say anything to my sister or anybody. I went home that night and I just thought I didn't sleep much at all. And then I just came to this huge realization is like when you're pointing one finger at somebody, you're just pointing three at yourself. And I asked myself a few key questions and it was, Have I defined the values in our organization? Have I defined the specific behaviors I want to see? Have I defined our vision? Do they know how to recite it back? And I could not answer yes. So that was a huge blind spot. So then I called my sister and I said, okay, so this is how I feel. This is what happened. And we made the commitment in that moment that we would say no to every opportunity, say no to new store openings. As an entrepreneur, it's really hard. But we said, until we fix this, we're going to say no to everything else. There's no time frame. We're just going to go in and we're going to fix this because we've expanded. So that was one of the biggest failures for us, but the biggest learning and a huge shift in the way we ran our company.
0: I am fascinated by this. I am really fascinated by this because it is exactly what I think... A lot of us as leaders of organizations are really trying to step through right now. I think the power of what you're saying is going to really kind of leak out into the community in a big way, because I think that's what's missing right now with this speed we were talking about, right? It's like, we think that things happen overnight, but if we really don't ground into the foundation of who we are, why we do what we do. Um, what is the plan? What are these deeper values? As you said, like we don't even have a core mission and yet we're out there building stores. How we got from step A to step Z without crossing any of the other barriers in the meantime. I mean, we're so in a rush to do the thing, to get the likes, to be like, to be bigger, better, stronger, faster that we forget that, you know, we just need to root into our values. It's simple and yet incredibly powerful as far as leadership growth and development.
1: Absolutely. It's simple, but it's so hard to do because we want to go, go, go. So in that moment, Craig and I were still, we paused so hard for us. You know, when a a mall, when you want to expand and a mall calls, they have a great location. It's right on the corner. And we're like, no, we made a commitment. We have to say no. (laughs) And, and we didn't. And we also like, and then we invested in, in our values and in our training, that was the next step. And and a part of that was taking like 75% of our marketing budget that year and putting it into training for our teams hard decision every advisor we talked to said don't do it and i said i just know it in my gut like i said sort of like don't do it i was like i have to i have to so those are the things that we did it, it it's so this this how long did this take us probably about a year and a half wow okay so I, this yeah. is big.
0: No, this is so this is so big I think and so meaningful because it's the the message here is and for anybody listening that's thinking there is an opportunity or an offer on the table for me now and it feels big and it feels juicy and it feels shiny and it feels like I have to go for it but there's something that's stirring inside of you that says this is not the right thing. This isn't right. I'm not ready. I maybe haven't rooted into the values or I don't even know if this is aligned with who I am or my direction or my vision for myself or my company, however big or small you are. I think the deeper lesson here is it's okay to say no. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to, to turn away opportunities and not be focused, again, this beautiful message from earlier, on being liked or being approved of as much as really, really being grounded in who you are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, sometimes we have to choose ourselves first Oof. and we need to be okay with that. And we don't need to apologize for that. I have to like me first before I can allow anybody else to like me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just nodding over here. Like, yes, this is just hitting me in, in, in straight in the heart. We do not have to apologize for who we are. That's not the goal. That no. is certainly not the goal no. of life. It's not the goal of business. When you have growth and, and a vision in mind, really setting yourself up for success. These are just really, really powerful tips. I'm curious. I mean, we've talked a lot about your career and the business, of course, but is there anything that you are working on personally at the moment? Is there anything that is sparking your interest as far as growth
1: personally? Um, For, my, for myself, I, I'm really trying to be more still when I'm when I'm with my kids to be in the moment with them. So that's like an ongoing thing for me. Um, I I think that one of the things that I've really noticed in the last couple of years um, that I'm aware of is I think as myself, I'm constantly, I have been constantly comparing myself. And we know that famous saying comparison is a thief of joy it truly is. So it's something that I'm trying to be really mindful of. I think the way that we consume right now, everything's at our fingertips, right? We don't have to wait for the five o'clock news. If you want the news, just go on social media. If you want to see what everything's doing, and it's so easy to say, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. It's so much better. And I just find that that is such, it's not a good way to honor ourselves and our achievements. So what I'm really trying to work on is when I find myself, like comparison, it is the thief of joy. It really does. It, it, it strips away our joy. And when we compare ourselves, it makes ourselves feel like we don't matter. And we do. So I find that when I'm comparing myself and we all, and I, I admit that I do this, even though like, it's probably a little bit like, you know, it's, it's kind of, I used to be ashamed of it, but now I just share it because it's important. But when I find myself comparing myself to somebody, I really think about it and I say, why am I comparing myself to this person? It's probably because they inspire me. It's probably because they're doing things that are really paving the way for myself and other women to move forward, right? So like really you compare yourself because you think this person's awesome. So when I start comparing myself, I change that word compare because it starts with a C to another word that starts with a C that's I think even more powerful and that's celebrate. So I start to celebrate this person. So I start, I take a piece of paper and a pen and I start to write down about this person, the things that if I were talking to them, what I would celebrate about them, what I would honor them, because really that is so much more powerful than comparing yourself. When you're looking at another woman and saying, you're amazing, you inspire me, you're the reasons why. And I think that that stops me in my tracks because I think, oh my gosh, this person makes me believe that I can do these great things too, or the people in my circle can, or other women can. And I think that that is a gift in itself when we can celebrate others. Yeah.
0: And a really, yeah, celebrate others instead of comparing such a brave kind of mental pivot too, because it takes a lot of self-awareness to say, not that I am resonating with these things in another human being because they do live in me. I just haven't really let them out. And in a big way, it's almost like we're seeing our own celebratory blind spots, right? I haven't celebrated this in myself. And so it's hard for me to witness somebody else celebrating it in themselves. And so instead of comparing, we get this opportunity to really go inward and say, that lives in me. I just haven't really activated that yet. I haven't activated that part of me.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I love that so much. What We're going to talk a little bit about social media. I know we've talked about it as you know this platform where people compare themselves quite quickly mm-hmm. and where things look nice and shiny, but you do have a beautiful social media account. And one of the things that most people might see when they visit your site now is that you just worked on a very big, beautiful project for a beautiful woman who's been on the unapologetic stage before in the past. Your company just designed Caitlin Bristow's engagement ring. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty fun. Um, I was kind of going to ask you what you enjoy most about being in the jewelry industry, but um, what did you enjoy most about that process? Let's start there because this is that's kind of a cool and really intimate personal experience to be a part of with somebody.
1: Um, in- incredible. So first and foremost, we were so incredibly honored and grateful to have been chosen to design such a special ring um, for for Caitlin and Jason and what I can say about that is that my absolute favorite part of being, you know, in our jewelry industry is the way that jewelry makes people feel mm. that celebration, way it brings you back to a special moment that you hold close to your heart every single time you put that piece on. And um, specifically uh, for Caitlin, Jason cared so deeply about creating a ring that really reflected her personal style and wanted it to be, you know, unique and different because Caitlin is such a light. So really, um, everything was inspired by her their love story and her personal taste in fashion and style and i was so happy to see you know all the photos because they look happy and she looks stunning and the ring looks it just suits her so what an honor for us to be included yeah
0: it's beautiful a experience. it is a great experience <laughs> it is great for us to watch along along with you and them as well mm-hmm. um, but what i love about your work and so much of what you've been saying today is there really isn't one thing that we've talked about that doesn't involve a deeper meaning or a symbolism as well. And I think that's the beauty of jewelry, isn't its Sometimes we think it's just these beautiful, shiny things, but it really is. There's a deeper meaning that really connects to our feelings, our emotions, our heritage in some cases, like your, your beautiful Asian set as well. There is something deeper in every piece. And I think when we think about the symbolism, we can actually be almost a part of that jewelry and it tells our story in such a lovely way. Talk to me about just jewelry in general as, as part of this storytelling adventure and
1: symbolic of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I will never um, forget the first like sale that I made when I was 16 years old in the store. And I remember this gentleman coming in and he said, I've been saving up for six months and I want to buy my wife something really special for Christmas. And I'll never forget that look on his face when he found that piece, his eyes lit up, his shoulders like just straightened up and he was so excited and he said, thank you. And I thought to myself, thank you for letting me be a part of this story. Thank you for letting me assist you in choosing a piece that your wife is probably going to wear forever and pass down for generations. So I think there is a storytelling element. I think every single piece represents a moment or a milestone in your life that is going to be cherished for years to come and whether you pass down that story. Um, and jewelry evolves over time too. You might have different pieces for different occasions. So I think it's very personal and I, I think that it's an honor and a privilege to be included in, in that process with a customer truly, truly from day one, I saw it in my family and I hope to make it um, still alive and well in all of our stores.
0: I love this. I just imagine that you probably had like the world's greatest mother, to have this much like meaning and deep symbolism in the work that you do, like coming through probably your origin story here as well. Can we just yeah, my, talk about mom for a minute? I feel like it feels
1: important. My mom. Right <laughs> my mom is my hero. Um, she was my hero growing up then, and she's my hero now. She's an incredible person, the kindest human you'll ever meet. Um her name is Tu, and we have the saying. And, you know, my sister and I, we say, what would Tu do? She always makes the right decision and thinks about others. And our Asian Heritage Hope said We actually launched it on May 4th um, to honour her birthday. That was her birthday. So that was the day that we launched it to honour everything. We owe everything to, to our mother. All the hardships she had to go through to, you know, raise our family, um, you know, as an immigrant from another country and the strength that she showed us. It would None of this would be possible without my mom. Oof. I love that, and now not only
0: is this legacy kind of coming through your family and your girls, and even to probably your employees, I would imagine, and people that you're working with these customers, uh, you are also raising funds for food banks and for Make a Wish Canada. I mean, your company is doing some big, big work and making a huge different difference in the community. And I would just be absolutely heartbroken if we didn't touch on some of that really good work before we end our recording today. So. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about just your
1: uh, philanthropic work. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I just, I feel that, you know, at the very core um, when we came here and we didn't know anybody and we didn't have any connections. And when we opened our store, the community took a chance on us. That's the only reason we exist. They could have chosen it. Customers have something we don't have. They have choice and they chose to, you know, support and shop with a small family business that didn't have, you know, a big marketing team or a beautiful store at all. We had handwritten signs and we didn't even know to speak English, but they chose to support us. So for us to give back, it feels uh, natural. It brings me joy. And, you know, a lot of the charities we do deal with, they are um, family focused or women focused and children focused as well. Um, you know, we've worked with Make a Wish and Ronald McDonald House as well. And my daughter um, was born quite premature, and she is a little bit over three pounds at birth. And I know firsthand as a mother, um, you know, the, the despair and the hopelessness you feel when your child's sick and you can't help. My daughter's super healthy now, and I'm very blessed. Mm. So I think that through some of the, these charities like Make a Wish, their wishes truly are life-changing. They bring joy, and for us to be a part of it is a, is a true honor. So. So that's why we do what we do. And it, it really gives me purpose because um, I think that, you know, a business is important. I think our teams are important, but I also think it's important to leave a legacy. And when I look back, I want to say that I've, I've made a difference um, in some small way.
0: Oof, that is amazing. And I, I just, can just imagine, how old are your girls now? Um, nine and six. Nine and six minor 11 and 11 and 6 so we're close we're very very minor close six, yeah <laughs> very busy years very demanding they need a lot of mom but i i can just imagine someday them speaking about you the same way that you've just spoken about your beautiful mother and really passing this these memories and these stories down, that really is legacy. I always say stories are the new legacy, right? That's our currency now is being able to tell that story, being able to make a difference. I am so grateful that you have been on this show with me today, sharing your story. I think you've made a tremendous difference. You're doing a ton of that anyway, but even just to listeners who may not know much about who you are, I think you've made a tremendous impact even in the short time that we've been on together. And we haven't even mentioned this, but you have been named global's women of vision in 2018 Edify's top 40 under 40 in 2020. You're a featured speaker at women in wealth virtual gala on international women's day, this voice and you sharing your voice and sharing your story. I can feel the power of it as we're having this conversation, but it just feels so much like what a beautiful doorway and what a beautiful opening to just more of you out in the world. What a gift you are, truly.
1: Gosh, thank you so much. I always find it such an honor um, when somebody asks to hear from me. I'm still honored by every single ask just because, you know, I, I I, I thank people for holding space for these conversations and um, I'm really grateful for it. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so
0: much for being here, and I know we'll, we'll stay in touch. This has okay. just been soul shifting for me, and I'm just I'm really soaking in the gratitude right now, so thank you so much for being in our space at Unapologetic Stories. Well, that was such an incredible conversation. I am so thrilled to have had Chow here today. Uh, Sometimes just synchronistic things happen in the universe that put me in the same beautiful space as other people who have this foundational core desire to root into the why, the big why. And if you followed me for a while, if you listen to this podcast or if you've worked with me, in any capacity, but particularly in branding work, I talk about this constantly, knowing who we are, knowing why we are and why we're doing the things that we're out in the world doing, is what connects to audiences. When we know that and we really show up from that place of authenticity, we can tap into not only what the needs of our audience are, but what our own needs are. And something I think will be a huge takeaway from today's edit is this idea that respect runs deep where approval and likes is just sort of a shallow understanding of our ability to connect to one another. It isn't really about our knee-jerk reaction. Do we like or dislike this thing? Do we like or dislike this person? Do we like or dislike the thing that they said or the thing that they're out there doing? The deeper question here is, do we see them Do we understand their deeper why? Do we understand why they're doing what they're doing? And can we root into a foundational level of respect for all human beings? And I will say this, I'm probably a stuck record on this piece, but storytelling really bridges the gap here. The more we tell our stories, the more we share, the more we talk about our past and what makes us who we are those are the things that allow us to not only find our own value, but see the value in others as well. Thank you again for being here. Until next time. thank you for joining this edit of the unapologetic stories podcast if you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training storytelling and strategizing your way through this one big life if you've enjoyed listening we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.